0: So, welcome to another episode of The Shredder Show. And today, I have an absolutely awesome guest who's Nia Al, who is uh, an American author who's written two books, which are absolutely incredible, which are Hooked and Indistractable. Which I think the conversation we're going to have today is going to be incredibly influential for everyone uh, going into 2021, particularly with the world we live in now with so many distractions around the world. So, um, thank you so much for your time today, Nia. Really, really appreciate uh, having you on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, so the, the subject of today's podcast is obviously going through mainly your, your Indestructible book and in terms of people's attention span to how um, people are getting manipulated and almost pulled all over the place with things. I think there's a saying I heard recently, uh, which I thought was the most uh, amazing and most simple phrase I've ever heard, I think. And it was like, people say that the most valuable thing you have is your time, when in reality, the most valuable thing you have in your life is your attention. And, and I think our attention is getting pulled all over the place from that side of things. Do you, do you have anything from that side of things you'd say? And what's your background of how you have sort of led into this? Cause I think you originally wrote your books actually for yourself as almost like patient zero almost.
1: That's absolutely right. Yeah. I wrote the book not because I am a master of controlling distraction, but quite the opposite. I struggled with constantly going off track and I wanted to figure out, you know, if I could have any superpower, I would want the power to be indistractable. I mean, how, Amazing would it be if you simply followed through on whatever it is you said you were going to do? Because I think you know the problem today is no longer that we can toss up our hands and say, Oh, I don't know what to do, right? Who who doesn't basically know how to get in shape? Do we really need another diet book to tell us to exercise and eat right? We we know. (laughs) Who doesn't know that a chocolate cake isn't as healthy as a healthy salad, right? Who doesn't know that if you want to have better relationships, you have to be fully present with the people you love? Who doesn't know that if you want to uh, excel in your industry and in your job. You have to do the work, especially the hard stuff that other people don't want to do. We know this stuff. And frankly, if there's anything you don't know, Google it, right? The, the, all the information is out there, it's all available. We don't have that excuse to say, well, I don't know what to do. We all basically know what to do. What we don't know how to do is how to stop getting in our own way. People do not accomplish their goals because they don't know how to stop getting in their own way, not because they don't have the information. We all basically know what to do. And so this was the situation I found myself in is that, you know, I knew I wanted to exercise and eat right. I knew I wanted to be fully present with my daughter and and with my friends and family. I knew I wanted to do my work. And yet somehow I kept going off track and I thought the problem was the technology, right? That was uh, my first impulse. Oh, it must be, you know, Facebook and the iPhone and all these distractions must be doing it to me. And so originally I got rid of all that stuff, right? I, I took the advice of gurus who tell you to, you know, digital detox and all that stuff. And, it didn't work because even after I got rid of those things, I still got distracted, right? I would get rid of, I got actually got, uh, it's funny. I bought myself a flip phone from Alibaba for like $12 uh, with no apps, no internet connection, just uh, made calls and, and SMS texts. And then I would sit down at my desk, you know, and I'd say, oh, I'm going to definitely do my writing. I'm definitely going to do my work. And then I would find I would, you know, start scrolling away on my desktop. So I got rid of my desktop computer. And instead, I got myself uh, this word processor from the 1990s with no internet connection that I got from, you know, like from eBay, some library was about to throw it out. So I bought it on eBay. So I thought, okay, great. Now I have no internet, no apps. I'm definitely not going to get distracted. But then when I would sit down and do my work, I would say, oh, you know what? There's that, that book I've been meaning to read that's on my shelf. Let, let me just do a little bit of research there in that book or let me just tidy up my desk or let me just take out the trash or fold the laundry or do anything but the thing I said I was going to do. And so what I discovered was that distraction is not about technology. It's not technology's fault. It's that we have uh, within us this innate desire to look for things that take us off track. And, and so what I wanted to do was to understand why why do we do things against our better interest? And, and incidentally, by the way, this is a 2,500 year old problem, at least 2,500 year old Why well, How do we know that? Because Plato, the Greek philosopher, talked about this. 2,500 years ago, he talked about what in the Greek is called akrasia, the tendency to do things against our better interests. And even 2,500 years ago, people were saying, geez, isn't the world so distracting these days? <laughs> so this is not a new problem. It's not something that technology created. What I want to do is to use modern uh, psychology and, and uh, uh, neuroscience to understand the deeper reasons why we get distracted, a much deeper reason than, oh, it's Facebook, it's Twitter, it's Instagram. But really, why don't we do the things in our best interest?
0: Absolutely, I think that's fascinating. I think, do you think that obviously the Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all these big powerful social media players have the most intelligent people around the world designing these platforms to try and hook us in? Do you think there's almost going to not be a rebellion against that, but I think that we're, we're starting to see almost like the pendulum is swinging the other way a little bit now with some people uh, like yourself putting out great information explaining how these things are almost like dragging us in. People are coming a little bit more aware of that maybe perhaps now? Well, so my first book was called Hooked, How to Build
1: Habit-Forming Products, and I wrote that book uh, over six years ago to um, to steal their secrets uh, to so that everybody out there building a product or service can use the same psychology behind Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, WhatsApp, Slack, Snapchat, the, the psychology that these companies use. Uh, to keep you coming back, to keep you hooked um, is something that we can all learn, in in fact. And so my idea was, well, if I could popularize their techniques, then people could use them to get people hooked to all sorts of things, right? What if we could build habit-forming fitness apps, habit-forming education products, habit-forming enterprise products? And that's exactly what's happened over the past six years. Uh, Countless companies have used this framework for good, and I'm super proud of that. But of course, the flip side is that sometimes products are designed to be so good that sometimes they become distracting. And so what I wanted to do was to explain people to people how we could use uh, the design of these products uh, against themselves, how we can actually understand how to do what I call hack back. You know, it's pretty clear these products are designed to hack your attention. You know, just to clarify the term, to hack means to gain unauthorized access, right? So a computer hacker might hack into a bank account. Uh, to steal someone's, you know, financial information there, and then, you know, later steal their money. Uh, to gain unauthorized access is is what hacking is all about. So we know these companies are trying to hack our attention. That shouldn't be news to anyone, right? Any company with a business model that monetizes time and attention monetizes the eyeballs. And guess what, it's not just Facebook, it's not just uh, Slack it's, or uh, Snapchat, it's not just Instagram, it's CNN, it's the New York Times, it's uh, anybody who's trying to get your attention and sell your attention to an advertiser. Uh, so any media business is in the exact same uh, business model and so we, we need to be aware of that. But the fact that we know that means that we're not powerless, right? Who says we can't hack back? And so that's what I want to do is to empower people to stop complaining, stop the whining, and realize that there is so much that we can do that is in our control. That, in fact, we are so much more powerful. It is not even a fair fight between us and the tech companies if you simply know what to do. And by the way, this is much bigger than the tech companies because I promise you, people have been distracted since time immemorial. Right? Before Facebook, it was cable news. And before cable news, it was the radio. And before that, it was rock and roll. And before that, it was a comic book. I mean, people have been complaining about one thing or another, saying, oh, that's why I don't have any attention. That's why I can't get anything done. It's this, it's that. It's the same silly argument we hear about fast food. You're, not, you're in the healthcare space. You know that it's not fast food. It's not McDonald's that's making people overweight. That's an excuse, right? You can lose weight eating fast food. It's about how we use these things. It's about making sure that we use them so that they serve us as opposed
0: to us serving them. 100%. I think it's one of those things people need to understand. All of these things we have available to us, like Instagram, Facebook, all the technology available is amazing and life-changing, and we wouldn't be having this conversation right now, and everyone would be listening to this right now if it wasn't for that. We also need to realize that we have the conscious choice of how we utilize these tools and we use them for our own purposes rather than being used by them, if that makes sense.
1: Yes, uh, amen. And you know, I think you are such a great example of this because the content that you share on Instagram, you know, I follow you on Instagram and you share so much great content. And improve people's lives with these very tools. I mean, you you, really, you know you reach hundreds of thousands of people, giving them very important information, very thoughtful uh, guidance around how they can uh, improve their health, and that's free, folks. <laughs> you know, like, what are we complaining about? <laughs> like, you know, can you imagine trying to go through this pandemic thirty years ago? Imagine the years nineteen ninety and coronavirus hit. Can you imagine how? miserable we would all be without being able to connect to each other. I mean, look, right now, we're able to talk over the span of thousands of miles for essentially free and then get this message out to people through podcasts. I mean, does anybody realize we are living in the future, people? Like, this is incredible science fiction. If you would have told me that we could do this, when I was a kid, I would say, nah, that's impossible. That's not going to happen in my lifetime. And here we are. We can do this stuff. And that's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So we're not going to wind back the hands of time. We're not going to go backwards. That's not going to happen. So to sit here and blame the tech companies is not going to work, right? To sit here and shame ourselves is not going to work, right? So that's what the two categories of people, what I call the blamers and the shamers. The blamers, they blame stuff outside themselves. It's Facebook. It's the iPhone. It's fast food. It's this. It's that. They blame stuff outside themselves. Oh, this is the one I hear all the time. It's the modern world these days, (laughs) As if there's ever been a perfect (laughs) Shangri-La. That's never happened. The world has never been better, folks. Even with Corona, the world has never been better. I know it's shocking to people. People always think the world is getting worse and worse. It's the exact opposite. The world keeps getting better and better. It's the media that keeps telling you this lie that it's getting worse and worse. It's wrong. It's false. Uh, if If you don't believe me, read the book Factfulness by Hans Ronsling. It'll blow your mind. But the point here is that we can't blame stuff outside ourselves. That's futile. We're not going to change that stuff. We're not going to, you know, go back to some imaginary time that didn't, didn't exist, that was somehow without distraction. And then shaming ourselves also doesn't work, right? So what happens when people tell themselves, oh, I have an addictive personality. I'm not a morning person. I can't focus. I'm bad at time management. I have a, a fast, meta- slow metabolism. I mean, you've heard all these, you know, shameful excuses that people make. What happens when we tell ourselves this nonsense is that we... Feel worse. And what do we do when we feel worse? We look for escape from that discomfort with more distraction. So we don't want to be blamers. We don't want to be shamers. We want to be what we call claimers. Claimers claim responsibility not for how they feel, not for their urges, but rather how they respond to their urges, right? This is a really important point. Most people don't understand this that you cannot. You, you do not uh, have power over your urges, okay, over your feelings, right? All you can do is decide how you will respond to those urges, how you will respond to those feelings. Let me, let me make it crystal clear. Imagine you have to sneeze, okay? If you have the urge to sneeze, that is not in your control. You already have the urge. What you can do is decide how you will respond to that urge. Will you sneeze all over everyone and get them sick? Or will you take out a handkerchief and cover your nose with a tissue so that that doesn't happen? Well, the responsible thing to do, uh, hence the term, you know, responsibility comes from how we respond to something, is to decide to cover our face so that we won't get other people sick. Well, that's exactly how we should respond to these urges. So absolutely, we have the urge to eat unhealthy unhealthy food, to smoke the cigarette, to drink the drink we know we don't need, to check social media when we know we should be doing something else. We absolutely have those urges. They're not going away what we can do is learn how to
0: respond to those urges in a
1: helpful rather than a hurtful manner.
0: hundred percent. I think one of the things I'd be fascinated to know your opinion on as you briefly touched on it then is your opinion on the news. Because for me in my, my, the last two years, probably one of the greatest things I've done is like completely cut myself out from watching or listening to news and having any negative, like almost aura around my mind. Uh, and that's always something that I've massively tried to eliminate in particular at the moment where like the U, in the UK, we've just gone into tier four, like lockdown again. Uh, so yeah. you go into it the, and there's Brexit and all this other sort of stuff. And you go on, like if you turn on a news channel, it's like World War Three is kicking off and it's uh, like the word like anarchy and pandemic is like nonstop. What's your opinion on people controlling that aspect of their lives? And is that something you would suggest cutting off from some of the mainstream media and controlling more of the information that they take into their lives?
1: Well, not necessarily. I mean, it's kind of like, oh, it's, it's almost like when someone asks you, hey, should I cut out all carbohydrates, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I don't know what your personal opinion is. I, I'm of the opinion, like, that's not very sustainable, right? No, <laughs> that like, you're going to figure that, terrible out, idea. right? It's a terrible idea, right? Uh, so it's not, you know, there's never one secret uh, thing that you should eliminate from your uh, food diet or from your media diet. It really has to be in accordance with your values. So let me back up a minute. What are we talking about when we talk about distraction? What is distraction, really? Um, The best way to understand what distraction is, is to understand what distraction is not. So if I I asked you what is the opposite of distraction, most people will say it's focus, right? The opposite of distraction is focus, but that's not exactly right. The opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction, if you look at the origin of the word, is traction. So traction is the opposite of distraction. Uh, They both come from the same Latin root, Trahare, which means to pull. And they both end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So traction by definition is any action that pulls you towards what you intend to do, things that move you closer to your values, help you become the kind of person you wanna become. The opposite of traction is distraction. Distraction is any action that pulls you further away from what you intend to do, further away from your values, further from becoming the kind of person you wanna become. So this isn't just semantics. This is very, very important because you cannot call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So if part of your values includes being informed about what's happening in the world, and that means watching the news, great. I don't have any problem with that. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. If part of what's consistent with your value is playing video games or taking a walk or I don't know, like whatever it is you wanna do with your time, there's no bad behavior, just like there's no bad food, right? It's about are you consuming those things with intent? Are you consuming these things as forms of media or these forms of food because of what we call an internal trigger? An internal trigger is an uncomfortable emotional state that we seek to escape from. So, you know, I used to be clinically obese. And let me tell you, the reason I was obese wasn't because of the fast food companies, it was because I was eating my feelings right? That's what most people, if they're honest with you about why they're overweight, this is why. It's because we don't eat when we're hungry. We eat because we feel bored or lonely or sad or dissatisfied or anxious or stressed. It's the same reason we get distracted with various forms of media. So during this pandemic, when people were clicking on the news mindlessly, endlessly, obsessively, it was because they were seeking to escape the uncertainty of the world around them. They were looking for emotional relief from a product or service, in this case, watching the news. And frankly, there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's done with intent. So how do you do that? How do you consume things with intent? Well, you know how you do this in, when it comes to the food we eat, you plan ahead, right? I mean, it's very difficult to, to get in shape without counting macros. At some point, you have to be intentional about what you are going to eat. And the same thing goes with how we are going to spend our time. So if one of your values is to stay informed on world events. Great, I don't have any problem with that. And by the way, I should back up and say, what what are values, we should define that word, what are values? Values are attributes of the person you want to become. Values are attributes of the person you wanna become. So if you ask yourself, how would the person I wanna become spend their time, and that includes some amount of reading the news, or working out, or playing video games, I don't care what it is, as long as that's done with intent, by putting it on your calendar, go for it. Nothing wrong with it. But do it on your schedule, not the media companies. Because you know the media company's incentive, the media company's incentive is to keep you watching as much as possible. Their incentive is not to inform you, their incentive is to keep you watching. So if you know that in advance, you can say look, the amount of time that the person I, would be, I want to become spends consuming the news is, you know, twenty minutes a day, an hour a day. That doesn't matter to me. Whatever amount of day you decide, uh, amount of time you decide in advance is consistent with your values. Now, there is a little trick I will tell you. Um, uh, a few little tricks that I talk about in the in the book as well. Uh, one is that I never read any kind of uh, content on my web browser. So I, I do have some of my values are consistent with you know keeping up with world affairs. I think it's a good thing to kind of you know be an informed citizen. But I have that time booked in my schedule now. Here's how I do it: I never read articles on the web. Why? Because the New York Times and the BBC and the Guardian design their websites to keep you hooked. I know because I wrote the book "Hooked on How to Do It." <laughs> so all those clickbaity headlines, uh, all those uh, uh, you know photographs, the videos, the text. It's all designed to pull you in. They do not care how much time you spend on the site. They don't care if you neglect your work, your uh, your exercise routine, your kids. They don't care. They want you on the site, so they're going to do everything in their power to keep you there. But you don't have to be there. So what do I do when I see a story I want to read? I save it to an app called Pocket. Now it's this little button in my Chrome extension. It's completely free and it takes, it scrubs out all the text without the noise, without the ads, without all that stuff that's tempting you to go down this rabbit hole of content. It sends it to this app and I only read that content when I'm working out. And you say, well, how can you read while you're working out? The app will read it to you. So it literally has like this Siri voice that's actually pretty great, that will read you the article. So that becomes my reward for taking a walk or uh working out or you know going on a run is that I get to listen to this content. So it's you know killing multiple birds with one stone. I'm not distracted at my desk. Uh I'm getting this information that's important to me and it's my reward for working out. So there's a lot of ways you can use these hacks to uh to to get the best out of these uh technologies if it's consistent with your values
0: to do so. That's a really insightful uh information there. In regards to uh, other outlets in terms of technology, which tend to sort of pull us in, do you have like specific tactics that you use to say, for example, manage? Because like some of the big things I know people are horrendously distracted with and it's super unproductive, uh, two would be phone notifications and it would be checking emails.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, strategy over tactics. Okay. What's the difference? Tactics are what you do. Strategy is why you do it. So it's much more important to understand why you, you should do what I'm going to recommend you do than the specific little, oh, use the pocket app, right? Like, you shouldn't buy my book for the pocket app. I just told you about it. <laughs> the, 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 what, the reason it took me five years of research and writing to, to, to finish this book was because there's, there's a framework here that's, that no one's ever seen before that's brand new. And the framework looks like this. And this is what I want you to understand. I want everyone listening to understand. I want you to picture a number line to the left and to the right, okay? So it goes goes to the left and the right. Imagine two arrows pointing diametrically opposed to the right and to the left. One side is traction. The other side is distraction, okay? You have that in your head. Now I want you to picture two arrows pointing to the center of that line, okay? So imagine the center point. There are two arrows pointing into the center. Those two arrows represent our triggers. And we have two types of triggers. We talked about the first one, the internal triggers. The other kind is called the external triggers. Okay, so you have that picture in your head. It's kind of like uh, the four points of a compass, but the, the, the two arrows at the top and bottom are pointing into the center, okay? So the triggers lead us to traction or distraction. So if you have an external trigger, it can lead to traction or distraction. If you have an internal trigger, it can lead to traction or distraction external triggers are the pings the dings the rings anything in our outside environment that can lead us to traction or distraction they're not necessarily bad right if you have a notification on your phone that says hey it's time to go work out it's time to spend uh, some time with your kids it's time for that meeting that's a helpful external trigger It is moving you towards traction because that's what you plan to do with your time but if you're, you know, with your, you, you're with your kid and now you get a notification on your phone, now you're checking your phone as opposed to being fully present with someone you love, and that's not what you plan to do, now it's leading you towards distraction rather than traction. So external triggers, there's a lot we can do about, uh, but that's only about 10% of the reason people get distracted. Okay, this is really, really important. The pings and dings on your phone studies have found that accounts when you look at time studies for only 10% of the reason you check your phone. Let me say this again. Only one in 10 times that you check your phone, you're checking your phone because of a notification. What's the other 90%? The other 90% are because of the internal triggers. Boredom, loneliness, fatigue, stress, anxiety, uncertainty. It's those internal triggers that make you feel bad and you have been habituated to find relief with your phone or some other distraction. For some people, it's take a drink of alcohol for some people it's eat a burger for some people it's you know whatever they can be healthy behaviors not so healthy behaviors but all the behaviors are spurred by a desire to escape discomfort so now we have our four points now we have our four strategies step number 1 the most important step is to master the internal triggers okay that's at the top of those four points master the internal triggers if you don't Have strategies at your disposal to do something with those uncomfortable emotional states. You will always be distracted. Here's what I want everyone to remember. Time management requires pain management. Time management requires pain management. We must learn to deal with our emotional discomfort or we will always find some kind of distraction to soothe that pain. We have to deal with that discomfort first and foremost. That's step number one. Now, step number two, we're gonna go clockwise around these four points. Remember, the next step is traction. Well, the next step, step number two, is to make time for traction, right? Remember, you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So the second strategy, and there's all kinds of tactics that I talk about for how to do this, is to make time for traction by turning your values into time. So this is where we're actually gonna make a calendar for how we are going to spend our time. And it seems like a simple technique, Almost nobody does it, and it is the secret to success. I am giving you the literal formula that study after study, I'm talking about thousands of studies, have found if you do this simple thing that 99.9% of people out there do not do, which is to plan their time, you will absolutely be more successful than those other people. Chances are, if you simply plan what it is you wanna do with your time, you will live with intent, you will live according to your values, and you will have a life that you are proud of because you did what you said you were going to do. And I show you exactly how to do that. How do you get started? How do you, I show you this technique called time boxing. I tell you about how powerful it is to share that time box calendar with your boss, with your spouse, uh, with the people in your life that matter. Uh, I share a technique called schedule syncing, which is very, very powerful. Uh, no one's ever written about it before, but it's an incredibly effective technique that it's all described in that second step. The third step, and again, we're going clockwise around that, 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 uh, that picture we talked about earlier, traction, distraction, external triggers, internal triggers, now it's the third step to hack back the external triggers. So this is where the book gets really practical. How do we hack back email? How do we hack back social media? How do we hack back meetings? How do we hack back the external triggers of our kids? Right, what about us that are working from home and we have these little ones that can be a huge source of distraction. You know, we're working from home, so we traded the distraction of our office colleagues for the distraction of our kids. I tell you exactly how to hack back that distraction as well. So we're gonna hack back all of these various distractions that come in the form of uh, external triggers, these, uh, these, these things that can pull us off track uh, in our environment. And then finally, the last step is to prevent distraction with pacts, the final fourth step is to use what we call a pre-commitment device and again this is very well researched it's been studied for decades now it's an incredibly effective technique which is where we're going to basically make a promise some kind of of, of commitment that we make with ourselves with other people or sometimes believe it or not with a technology that helps prevent us from getting distracted as the the last line of defense is the firewall if you will for distraction these pacts can be incredibly effective so that's the four strategies. Master internal triggers, make time for traction, hack back external triggers, and prevent distraction with packs. That's what I want you to remember. Now, how we do it, the tactics, that's, that's the details, right? That's the stuff for like, okay, well, what about this app? Okay, that fits into this category, this step. That's where it gets really, really practical. Uh, but the strategy is actually more important than the tactic
0: and interestingly i did something very similar to this probably about six weeks ago i literally went into my google calendar and blocked out like literally time slots that i do everything i do podcasts on certain days youtube videos on certain days and the actual relief of anxiety that having more structure gave me was incredible uh that's absolutely changing
1: yeah. And many people resist this. You know, they think, uh, oh, a time boxing that's so restrictive. I can't plan ahead. I need to be free. It's, you know, it's, I, I don't want to do that. That's excuses talking. <laughs> right? It's people figuring out every reason we call that. What about Well, what about this? And what about that? As opposed to, well, how can you try and make this work? Right. So my advice to folks is just try one thing from these four strategies and it will absolutely change your life. You will see in just a week's time, if you give this a shot, do one small thing. Don't, you don't have to time box every day of your week, for example. How about you just time box one day or, heck, one afternoon, okay? How would you spend that time with intent? So plan that time in advance and do so. Not down to the minute. You don't have to plan every you know, five minutes, but you know, let's say 20, 30-minute blocks of time, how would you want to spend your time? And then you're going to reevaluate. You're not going to set that calendar once and forget it. No, you're going to act like a scientist, not a drill sergeant. So you're going to reevaluate and say, okay, well, uh, that wasn't really enough time for my email. I need a little bit more time for email, and I'm going to take that time away from something else. Or, you know, I really miss watching Netflix movies or playing a video game. Let me make sure I have time for that as well. This isn't just about being an automaton and you know doing work all day. No, it's about Living with intent. If you want to play video games, if you want to go on social media, wonderful. But put that time in your schedule. Do it on your schedule,
0: not someone else's. Well, the interesting thing I take that take from that is what you said on your schedule. And I think the big thing, take home point for everyone, this is taking control of the situation. And like by actually having more structure, you have more control. And people think that um, structure is limiting, whereas actually like structure will give you more freedom because once everything's structured in, you don't actually have to think about what you're supposed to be doing. And you can then, if you you block in like downtime, as you said, if you wanna spend half an hour to mindlessly scroll through Instagram, you, you've got that time that you don't have to feel guilty necessarily about doing that.
1: Right, it's, the key word there was mindlessly, right? That's, that's when you regret it. If you say, hey, you know what, in my calendar, it's this time for social media. Fantastic. I have that in my calendar. I love social media. It's wonderful. You know how many people I would have lost touch with had it not been for social media. It's a wonderful tool. What I
0: don't want to do is to use it mindlessly. I want to use it mindfully. 100%. I think it's some awesome advice. In terms of, um, we're talking about mindlessly where people end up going into, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and even emails, mindlessly scrolling, almost looking for stimulation. Do you have any, um, ways you'd re- recommend people try to sort of pull themselves out of that sort of habit loop?
1: Well, it's really about those four strategies, right? So number one is, is mastering those internal triggers, which we didn't really talk about, but very, very important. That is the most important of the four steps is to understand why you are there, right? And people don't like to talk about this icky, sticky truth of the fact that, you know, look, we're, we're checking, uh, you know, Instagram too much because we're insecure, because we're lonely, because we're anxious, because we're stressed, because we're too tired to go to sleep. <laughs> right? If we don't look that in the face, and sometimes this is hard for people, they want to know, like, well, what's the, what's what's the trick, right? Like, what's the what's the app I need to install to get me to stop checking Instagram? You know, the app you need to install is the software in your brain to be able to be aware of. Wait a minute, I'm overdoing this for emotional reasons, right? And by the way, this could be anything. I mean, look, you're you're a super fit guy. You know those people who are in the gym because they're escaping something, you know? They're on that treadmill running from an emotion. You know what I'm talking about, right? 100%, 100%. 100%. 100%. And that's when it becomes unhealthy. Is exercise healthy? Super healthy. Is exercising to an extent where it takes you away from your family? your job, your kids, your other priorities healthy? Certainly not. People can exercise, even though we think, oh, exercise is so healthy. You can also make exercise into a distraction. You can make work into a distraction. You can make anything into a distraction if it's not what you intend to do with your time because if you haven't asked yourself, wait a minute, why, if I know what I want to do, why am I not doing it? And the answer doesn't start with how am I feeling?
0: You're not getting to the root cause of the problem. 100%. I think it's being aware of that emotional buy in and your why behind why you're doing everything. And I actually, the most recent podcast went into a lot of depth with this. And once you start to emotionally understand yourself and become more aware, it's then easier to understand what things are going to be triggering you off to go into Instagram, Facebook, um, scrolling for something to entertain or stimulate you.
1: Right, exactly, and so that's so that's where I give folks a lot of uh, uh, several different tactics. You know, we talked about the strategy of mastering internal triggers. Uh, the tactics include reimagining the trigger, reimagining the task, and reimagining our temperament. So this is where we actually get into the nuts and bolts of okay, I feel crappy. Okay, I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling bored. I'm feeling too tired to go to sleep. Well, what do I do now if I'm not going to check Instagram? Right. What's the alternative? How do I make sure I do the act of traction rather than distraction? Uh, so part of it is using the four strategies holistically, right? Like you know, let's let's take. Is there a particular distraction? You know, people love when we when we do little case studies here. Is there a particular distraction that you're struggling with that we might be able to dive into that I can uh, help you give with? You a
0: good example. So I, I think I've you were talking about this earlier about gradually phasing things in. So I had a very bad habit of a few things like constantly checking my phone for WhatsApp messages, emails. I've now like turned all my notifications off, and I've actually went to the extent. Uh, it's my birthday on Friday and I turn off my phone emails for work and I haven't turned them back on since. And
1: yeah.
0: that's psychologically very empowering to realize the world doesn't come to an end when you're yeah. checking your phone all the time. Cause I, I'm still actually, and this is what's interesting. I catch myself doing it now. I open my phone looking for work emails and they're not there because it's not connected. So my brain mm. is still looking for that stimulation of like, I need to be doing something. I need to be doing something. And I still get that where I go, looking into, I open Facebook because so I look for comments in my client Facebook groups. I'm looking for that constant stimulation that I feel like I need to be doing some work or I need to be doing something productive. Whereas I'm actually, I think reality just being busy for the sake of being busy because I feel bored maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. So, okay. So let's see. So, uh,
1: you turned off your phone on Friday cause it was your yeah. birthday. Yeah. Happy haven't by the yeah. way. So you turn it off. And uh, today is Tuesday and you haven't turned it back on that entire time.
0: Yeah, I've checked my emails on my computer, but not on my phone to try and give me clear headspace. So then I Mm. can actually be more uh, attentive to other things rather than getting distracted and pulled into things and being reactive. So I want to try and be proactive and have more control of my life rather than uh, constantly being like at beck and call to other people, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah.
0: And this isn't, so this isn't a permanent solution though, right? Or is it? I think it could be a permanent solution. If I check my email twice a day, that's that's more than enough.
1: Okay, cool. But you're, you're going to turn your phone back on eventually.
0: Oh, no, no, my phone's back on, but I've just like disconnected the, the, my work email, if that makes sense. Oh, just, just email. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. Great. Now I understand. So that, that's a great example
1: of removing the external triggers. So there's nothing wrong with checking email. but like, what you've done is to say, look, there's no need for me to check email on my phone. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like, the world is not going to end if I respond to people, you know, twice a day as opposed to 10 times a day. Because frankly, if there's something so important, oh my God, your house is on fire, you have to call me. They're not going to send you an email. They'll call their texts. Well, they're not going to use the email, <laughs> right? Um, so, so that's great. So taking, saying, look, I don't need email on my phone. It doesn't, you know, the, the critical question is, is this technology serving me or am I serving it? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. If we feel like we are serving the technology, that's a problem. The technology has to serve us. So what you're saying is, you know, email is great, but I don't need to use it all the time on my phone. I have the same same rule for social media, right? Facebook is great. I love Facebook, but not on my phone. I don't need it on my phone, right? I have time in my calendar every night. When I check Facebook, it's on my calendar and I do it, but I do it on my desktop because I don't need that external trigger on my phone, constantly pigging and digging me. It's not serving me. It feels like I am serving it. So it's, it's, again, it's not by, it's not about saying, Oh, never again, it's evil. You know, I'm not going to use it ever, ever. No, it's about saying, how do I use it in a time and place that serves me rather than me serving it?
0: Yeah. I think it's very much just taking back control. And, um, by me disconnecting my email, my work email, my phone, it's, Forcing my hand because I still go and actually look Subconsciously for like just aimlessly looking to try and refresh it and there's no obviously emails there and I keep catching myself doing it I mean, I'm interested to see how long it takes until that stops happening. I reckon two three weeks, maybe
1: Yeah, so that's what's called a variable reward. It has uh, similarities to why slot machines are so engaging uh, because we know that uh, uh, people will respond more frequently to a reward that's given on an intermittent schedule of reinforcement. So when a reward is predictable, it's not as interesting. Like imagine if um, uh, you, when you open your fridge, uh, every time you opened it, there was something else, right? One time it was ice cream, one time it was uh, celery, and then one time it was a uh, can of Coke. You'd keep opening it, right? Every time to see what's next, what's next, what's next. And so that's kind of what email does to us or social media or all of these habit forming products they all have this, uh, this variable reward, just like a slot machine. Uh, so, and, and that's not going away, right? We can't change that. What we can change is to say, well, in what context, right? So for example, you recognized that you were pulling to refresh and checking and checking email because you, so it sounds like maybe you were bored, maybe you were anxious, maybe you were trying to figure out what to do with your time. And so you would check the phone. That was the internal trigger. Then you said, okay, well I'm gonna, I'm gonna make time for traction. I'm gonna say, look, I only check email at 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. Let's say it's on my schedule. That's when I check email. Great. Then you're gonna hack back the external trigger. You're gonna remove the email app from your phone because it doesn't serve you. By the way, I'm not saying this should be everyone, right? Uh, I'm saying this sounds like the steps you've taken. So you removed the external triggers, you hacked back. You said, look, I'm not, it doesn't serve me on my phone. I'm only gonna do it on my desktop computer. And then you, you could, if you wanted to, prevent distraction with pacts. So you could use what's called an effort pact, a price pact, or an identity pact to, uh, to keep you on track as a last line of defense. For example, you know, if you're the kind of person who really has trouble with still checking email, uh, you can have some kind of price pact with a friend that says, look, if I check email during such and such hours, uh, I owe you money right this has been found to be an incredibly effective technique to get people to stop smoking believe it or not as addictive as we say cigarettes are the most effective technique in history was simply to pay people to stop smoking it's very effective (laughs) so we can actually use monetary disincentives sorry it wasn't uh pay people to stop smoking it was to pay people yes 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 pay people to, to stop smoking so if you could if you didn't smoke you got a reward Uh, And the most significant reward was the reward that you put up something. You had skin in the game. Uh, The study is is a little bit longer to explain, but essentially, if you took a bet with yourself and said, okay, I'm going to put money in, it was $150. If you bet $150 that you wouldn't smoke for six months, and then you got, in addition to the $150, another $450 as the reward, that was actually more effective at getting people to stop smoking than just giving them the full $600 of actually putting skin in the game. Uh, so that that's what we call a price pact. Then we have an effort pact. An effort pact puts a bit of work in between you and something you don't want to do. So for example, uh, in my household, we had this problem, you know, my wife and I have been married for almost 20 years. And, uh, you know, a few years ago when I was writing this book, uh, our sex life was really struggling because every night we were going to bed and I was fondling my iPad and she was caressing her iPhone. And we weren't intimate with each other because we kept going to bed later and later with our technology. So what did I do? I went to the, so I, I, you know, I was researching what became my book Indistractable and uh, I started to use some of these techniques. And one of the techniques I used was to go to the hardware store and buy a, uh, an outlet timer. Now this outlet timer costs about $5. You plug it into your wall outlet And whatever you plug into this outlet timer will turn on or off at whatever time of night and day you're set. So in my household, every night at 10 p.m., the internet router shuts off, okay? So what did I do there? If I wanted to get online, I could, of course. If it's past 10 a.m., I could unplug this thing. I could replug in my router. I could find a way to get back online, right? But it's a bit of effort. I made it more difficult to do something I didn't want to do namely go online past 10 o'clock so that bit of effort allowed me to have a moment of mindfulness to say wait a minute is it really necessary do I really need to check email when I said I was was not going to when I said I was going to go to bed Uh, or is it something I'm just doing mindlessly and so that would be an effort pack so how could you do that with email well you could bury the email app you could uh, change your password and give it to a friend you could do a million different things to make it harder to do the thing that you don't want to do And then uh, the third type of pact is called an identity pact. This is the most powerful of the three. And this comes from the psychology of religion. And uh, the reason this is so powerful is because it turns out that some of the things that we think are very difficult to do for some people, other people have no problem doing by using this psychological trick of identity. What does that look like? A vegetarian doesn't wake up in the morning and say, ooh, I wonder if I should have a bacon uh, and egg sandwich for breakfast. No, a vegetarian doesn't eat meat. It is who they are. It is part of their identity. Just like a devout Muslim doesn't drink, uh, a, a, a devout Jew doesn't have uh, uh, you know, unkosher food. That, they just don't. It's who they are. It's part of their identity, which is why the book is titled Indistractable. Indistractable sounds like indestructible. And so what I want to do is to create a new identity around, you no, know, this is who I am. I'm not the kind of person who checks email 100 times a day. That's not who I am. I am indistractable. And part of my value system is to only check you know, when I say I will, when it's on my calendar. That's who I am. That's my identity. And so what it does is essentially absolves of us of needing willpower because it becomes who we are. And there's a lot more details around how you can create that identity pact Uh, But those three types of pact, a price pact and an effort pact, an identity pact can be very, very powerful tools.
0: 100%. I think one of the things that I'd like to add into that as well is that, like talk about a lot about identity, but I think people need to be very aware of like the words they use when they talk about themselves and we referred to it earlier briefly where people put themselves down being, Oh, I've got a slow metabolism. Oh, I've got X, Y, Z. And like, I'm big into almost like the law of attractions that if you, If you put something out into the world, it'll probably become a reality and it becomes uh, the truth. If you keep telling yourself something over and over again, you'll believe it and then your your actions will then follow suit with that thought process, which is why I think it's very important that we're careful for anyone that is listening about the language you use to describe yourself. For example, if you're a slow reader at the moment, then you can become a faster reader if you invest the time into doing so. It's the same if you can't do a fitness example, if you can't do a barbell squat. Well, maybe you haven't done the reps yet in that exercise to master that skill because everything we do is a skill and it's an element of repetition. And we ultimately can learn anything as human beings. We just need to put the time and effort into it. And I think people being very aware of um, their identity and the way they talk about themselves is very important.
1: Oh, it's, it's incredibly important. And study after study has found this. Uh, that you know, we know, for example, when it comes to uh, um, uh, addiction uh, science, we know that the number one criteria of whether someone who is an alcoholic will uh, recover after rehab is not their level of physical dependence. It's their belief in their power to change. I mean, think about that, right? It's not the alcohol in their blood. It's not what's going on in their body. It's what's happening in their mind. Because, and, and th- th- this isn't anything myth- mystical, I, I'm not a big fan of the whole you know, law of attraction because it's way too supernatural. It's very, it makes all the sense in the world. Practically speaking, what happens? If I believe I am incapable, I don't try, 100%. right? If I have a slow metabolism, why should I work out? It ain't gonna work anyway, right? I'm just gonna stay fat. <laughs>
0: <It's a little laughs> right. Belief.
1: Right. Exactly, exactly. If I, and this, you know what we hear today a ton is we, we hear people who think, oh, Social media is addictive. Social media is hijacking your brain. The technology is manipulating you. And we love to use that language. Love it. Why? Because it absolves us of responsibility. Because when there's an an addictive substance, well, there's a pusher. There's a dealer, right? Big bad Mark Zuckerberg is doing (laughs) it to us. How could I possibly resist? How could I possibly take five minutes to turn off my notification settings? Right? It's not that hard. (laughs) But we don't wanna talk about that because then I have to do something about it. But when we call it what it really is, it's not an addiction for God's sakes. Now, some people are addicted. Is there such a thing as someone with a food addiction? Is there someone with a sex addiction? Is there someone with an alcohol addiction? Of course, yes. Some people are alcoholics. Some people do have obsessive compulsive disorder and have food addiction, sex addiction, but not everyone who has sex or a glass of wine with dinner is a sex addict or an alcoholic. It's ridiculous. Why do we think that technology somehow is addicting everyone? It's ridiculous and it's so unhelpful because we begin to believe this rubbish. We begin to believe there's nothing I can do about it. So why should I even try? My kids, they won't stop playing video games. It's hijacking their brain. Why would I even sit down and have a conversation to see what they might be escaping from the real world and the virtual world? Why would I even ask them what, what they'd like to do instead of doing, uh, instead of playing video games? Why should I even see what's going on with their life? It's clearly not my fault. It's the technology doing it to them. And so that's why this is so dangerous is because by perpetuating this myth, this, this idea that we're powerless, that's exactly what the tech companies want us to believe the tech companies want you to believe you're addicted that's what the, f- the fast food companies want you to believe so that when you drive by a mcdonald's you say i can't resist it's irresistible there's nothing i can do it's so delicious i can't stop and that's bullshit of course you can do something about it of course you
0: can moderate your b- behavior unless you believe you can't 100% i think i don't know if you'll agree with me but i think one of the most empowering things in your life So, for example, from a fitness side of things is when you, you could go to McDonald's, but you consciously say no and you have control and you take control back of that. And you realize that you can consciously control what you put in your mouth and you eat and everything that you do is your own conscious choice and decision. And no one is making you do that. And big bad Ronald McDonald's not manipulating you into eating a happy meal every day.
1: Right, exactly, and you know, it's. It, I think if there's, if you were going to boil down this uh, this book, Indistractable, into one mantra, it's that the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. Let me say that again: the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. That distraction and procrastination is a problem of impulsiveness. At the end of the day, it's not a character flaw. Uh, it's not a moral failing. There's nothing wrong with you. It's simply that we haven't taken the steps today to prevent getting distracted tomorrow. But that is an evolutionary gift. That is something that we can do that no other animal on the face of the earth can do. We can see the future with higher fidelity than any other animal. We can predict what is going to happen. So if you wait till the last minute, you're gonna lose, right? If you wait till the chocolate cake is on the fork on its way to your mouth, you're gonna eat it. If you wait till the cigarette is lit in your hand, you're going to smoke it. If you sleep next to your cell phone every night, it's going to be the first thing you reach for before you even say hello to your loved one in the morning because it's too late. You've already lost. That's why we have to plan ahead. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. If we use forethought, if we take steps today to prevent getting distracted tomorrow, there is no
0: distraction that we cannot overcome. i understand. I think it's very much that point, thought process of setting yourself up for success and putting yourself in the right environment Um, and talking of this sort of right environment uh, is actually from my own personal interest as well do you have any office hygiene tips almost to minimize distractions or things you like to eliminate in the workspace to try and keep people focused and uh, on the task at hand oh
1: yeah so for physical space there's actually a whole chapter in the book around uh, how to stay indistractable at work And one of the things that uh, one of the studies I love in the uh, that I that I include in the book that was so interesting um, in the United States, uh, if if it was a disease, believe it or not, the third leading cause of death before Corona, Corona messed up these statistics, uh, but the third leading cause of death after heart disease and cancer, believe it or not, would be prescription mistakes. Prescription mistakes. Can you believe that 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 prescription mistakes? Uh, kill or harm hundreds of thousands of people every single year in the United States. And I'd imagine the statistics are not too far off in the rest of the world. And for years, hospitals just thought, "Eh, whatever, it's the cost of doing business. Okay, people make mistakes. Uh, What are we gonna do? Until a group of nurses at UCSF decided to tackle this problem. They wanted to figure out why this was happening. Why were nurses giving patients the wrong medication. That's what they were doing. They were were giving people the wrong dosage or the wrong medication entirely. And they realized the culprit after they did these studies was distraction. That while nurses were distributing medication, they were interrupted by their colleagues on average 10 times per dosing round. And every time they were distracted, they were giving people uh, the wrong medication. This was causing uh, life-threatening consequences. So they came up with an ingenious solution that reduced prescription mistakes by 88%. They almost completely eliminated the problem. And the, the solution was not some multi-million-dollar technology. It wasn't some uh, you know, uh, fancy retraining program or anything or lecturing people to death. It was plastic vests, okay? These garments that, that nurses wore over their outfits that were bright red, that just you know, didn't cover their arms, but just covered the, the, the back and front, and said, drug round in progress, do not disturb, okay? Almost eliminated the, pro- or the problem completely. Because it told their co- colleagues, look, when I'm wearing this vest, don't bother me. And so how do, we, how do we use this lesson in our own lives? So in every single copy of Indistractable in the book, there is a piece of cardstock that you pull out of the book and on this card stock is printed uh, what I call a screen sign. It's a piece of cardstock that you fold into thirds, you uh, put it on your computer monitor, and it tells your colleagues, I'm indistractable at the the moment, please come back later. And every time you put up the screen sign, you send a very clear message to your colleagues, okay, right now I'm doing something that requires my full attention, I can't be interrupted. And so what you're essentially doing is interrupting the interruption. (laughs) And it's incredibly effective. So do we leave it up all day long? Of course not, but do we, Book that time with ourselves and say, look, I need this time to concentrate, and therefore, that's the times when I need uh, to tell my colleagues that I'm doing something else. I cannot be distracted. He's okay, well, that's what I'll put headphones on for, right? No, when you wear headphones, people have no idea whether you're watching YouTube videos or what. They think you're putzing around. Make that message uh, explicit that, hey, this is a time when I cannot be bothered by using a screen sign.
0: 100. I think some very very solid advice. It's interesting you said that about the headphones because that was one of the things that I was going to mention. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I do that at home when I if I work in my house, not in my office. I put my headphones on so my wife knows I'm working and not to distract me. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. So if you know if you have a, an agreement with somebody, then headphones can be okay. But you know, in an office setting where people come in and out, maybe people you don't work with every day and know your daily routine. Uh, I've seen you know many many occasions where people will interrupt someone with wearing headphones because. You know, they think you're watching a, a YouTube video or listening to a podcast, so it doesn't really set the best example. Whereas, if you have a sign that says, "No, I am indistractable at the moment," uh, then you're also making it acceptable to do so. Part of the problem is that we ha we don't yet have the culture to make it okay to be indistractable. Uh, that somehow the culture right now is everybody check your phone all the time, and I think that's going to change. Uh, you know, and and the reason I think it's going to change is that we've already been here before that. You know, I remember, so I grew up in the 1980s, and I remember in the 1980s, uh, everybody had ashtrays. Like, this is gonna sound crazy to people who are, you know, born, uh, born after the, the millennium, but, um, you know, back then, everybody had ashtrays in their house, whether you smoked or not. My parents didn't smoke, but we had ashtrays in our house. Why? Because when people came over, they just expected to smoke in your living room. That's what people did. I mean, it sounds crazy today. You wouldn't dream of going to someone's house and uh, you know, finding a stranger smoking there. You know, can you imagine if someone came to your house and just lit up a cigarette without asking? That would be absolutely crazy. Well, what changed? Was there a law that said you can't smoke in people's private residences? Of course not, there's no such law. What changed is people made it unacceptable. People said, look, my identity is a non-smoker. I am a non-smoker. They had that identity, and this is exactly what we're gonna do with being indistractable, right? That we're gonna make it okay to not constantly ping and ding me, right? Because I'm gonna take time to, to focus on my work. I'm gonna take time to be indistractable right now. And so the more we can propagate what we call social antibodies, we can begin to spread this new culture of working without distraction, working and living without distraction, I should say.
0: 100%. With that, I just wanna finish up on one point. What is your opinion on? Like I'm a big believer in uh, if you can control the start and end of your day in terms of routine, then that will give you a lot more control within your life and you will have less distractions. Do you have any recommendations or anything? Is that something you believe in?
1: Sure. I mean, I, I think it's, uh, I, I haven't seen any good, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very much an empiricist, so I want to see studies. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I, am not a big fan of, of books or techniques and gurus that say, well, yeah. it works for me. So it's going to work for everybody. I want to see the peer reviewed study. And I, I haven't personally come across any studies that say, uh, that, that that is the, uh, secret sauce. Uh, but I, I will say if that works for you, great. Right. My goal is whatever it is you want to do with your time, I want to help you do. So if you find that, you know, if you can only do that routine, you know, I find that uh, when I meditate first thing in the morning, my day goes great. And if I get to bed on time, I'm in a great mood the next day, wonderful. How can we make sure that you do that when you say you will? That's my goal. So whatever it is you want to do with your time, becoming indistractable helps you actually follow through on what
0: it is you say you're going to do. And be present. Mm-hmm. awesome well we'll wrap that up there then uh near um for anyone who hasn't got the book already who's obviously going to be intrigued after this conversation where's the best place for anyone to go and find out about uh, both your books indistractable and hooked
1: sure so uh if you go to my website it's near and but near is spelled like my first name so that's n-i-r and far.com near and far.com there's actually a uh uh, a workbook there that's totally free, complimentary. You can get that at nearandfar.com. It's a complimentary workbook for Indistractable. We couldn't fit it in the book, so we decided to give it away for free. You can get that at nearandfar.com, and the book itself, Indistractable: How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. You can get that wherever
0: books are sold. <laughs> awesome. I'll, I'll pop some uh, notes below the show notes for podcasts podcast here for you guys to check out, and also uh, Neer's uh, Instagram if you want to give him a follow on there. He's got some awesome quotes and captions you've been sharing. Is it's N-E-Y-A-L, 99, I believe. So we'll get that uh, popped below the podcast as well. So uh, thank you so much for your time today. Super insightful, super helpful uh, for myself personally and also for everyone listening to the podcast. I really, really appreciate you and hope you have a wonderful Christmas.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Happy holidays and happy new year.
0: Awesome. Thank you, buddy. So that was a truly incredible episode uh, of the Shredder Show of the Near AL. Slightly different in terms of topic, but super, super powerful. I really want you guys to think about and implement some of these tactics we talked about today in terms of how to control your attention, because as I said at the start of the podcast, the most powerful thing you have is not your time, but your attention and what you focus on So really put some of these techniques that we talked about there into practice, and that will help you succeed in 2021. Also, if you want some more free help from myself and cJ coaching team, if you hit the links below, you can join the CJ Shredding Squad Facebook group for completely free. We've also got my YouTube channel where our daily videos going out to help you. So hit that up and subscribe. And you can also book in your free six-pack strategy call to discuss how we can help you get in the best shape possible for 2021. Look forward to seeing you in the next episode of The Shredder Show. If you guys found this helpful, insightful, please make sure you leave a five-star review and share this with a friend.